Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Well, uh, it's great to uh, have so many of you here this morning. Uh, And I want to start by showing you a picture of two people. You may recognise one or both of them. Uh, any, any, Any recollections of either of these two? John Dixon, yes, is the one on your right. And uh, the other one? Lyle Shelton. Yes. Now, for those of you who uh, uh, don't know anything about either of these two uh, men, this starting analogy uh, may fall a little flat, but let me tell you a little bit about them both. Uh, Lyle, on the left, uh, used to be the head of the Australian Christian Lobby. He became sort of famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it, for leading the kind of uh, no-vote campaign when we were voting about same-sex marriage a few years ago. Uh, And uh, it's fair to say he's not well-liked by the general populace. And so uh, I remember when I logged into Twitter on the night of the uh, result of the same-sex marriage uh, survey uh, being announced, uh, trending on Twitter was the hashtag... Eat something Lyle. Uh, And I can't say what the middle word was because it's not becoming of a church. Uh, But basically it was like sucked in Lyle. Uh, And it trended on Twitter like there were enough people uh, uh, kind of laying into the bloke after he'd uh, uh, just lost uh, uh, because they have such a strong dislike for him uh, that it, it, it started to trend on Twitter, and he goes on Q and A and all these sorts of things, and tries and sort of be a, a public voice for sort of more conservative positions. Now, what's interesting is John Dixon, uh, who's the man on the right. He's a historian, uh, an Anglican minister, uh, and a, a pretty smart guy. And he holds a ver- variety of positions that are quite similar to Lyle Shelton's. He also does things like go on Q&A and write into the papers and speak publicly about the Christian faith. And yet, for some reason, when he does it, people don't seem to get as angry and they don't seem to get as worked up. And when uh, the same-sex marriage vote comes through, they don't hashtag eat disgusting stuff, John. Um, uh, And and it's kind of interesting to think about uh, why this might be. There's a whole lot of complexity that goes around the nature of the media and politics and how all these things work. And, uh, of course, uh, using them as, I'm using them as, as caricatures rather than speaking about them as actual individuals. Because uh, I, I have met them both and they both seem like nice people when, you, when you're dealing with them uh, in a smaller context. But sort of culturally, we've got these two people who are uh, are going about sort of the same thing, but in two very different ways, and I think are a useful cultural illustration for us today as we think about what Paul is calling the Christians in Thessalonica to, and therefore us, as we seek to live holy lives in an unholy world. Uh, uh, Paul is actually calling us to live live out our faith 
hold on to our convictions, but to do so in such a way, in what he terms quiet towards the end of our reading today, that that might win the respect of an unholy world. And at least not respect and not the outright derision that perhaps sometimes Christians are guilty of attracting to themselves. But before we dive into chapter 4 and have a look at what Paul is saying, let's uh, just recap. I know there's a lot of people here who haven't been here the last few weeks, but uh, the letter to the Thessalonians uh, was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Thessalonica, which is a real city that's still there today, uh, in Greece. Uh, it, it was a large city back then. It's a large city today. Uh, and it was a city where Paul turned up. We read about it in the book of Acts. It recounts the history of uh, Paul's mission and ministry there. He preaches in the synagogue, so the place where uh, the Jewish people used to meet. He goes there, he tells them, hey, the Messiah has come. His name was Jesus. You need to trust in him to have eternal life. He gets to do that three times, and then they run him out of town. Few people become Christians, but the vast majority of people is like, get out of here. Uh, And things get very difficult for Paul, who has to basically sneak away uh, in the the dark of night. Uh, And and the rest of the Christians who are there kind of get bailed up and put before a judge and have to bail themselves out uh, so that they can go on living their life of faith. And so Paul has had to leave these guys rather quickly uh, and he goes from uh, Thessalonica to Athens, which you've probably heard of, and he goes from Athens to Corinth. And as he's moving uh, away, he's really, really concerned about the Thessalonians. He really, really wants to know, are they going okay? Because when I left, it was hard work. They were getting persecuted. And so he sends Timothy on like a reconnaissance mission to go back and to see what's happening. And Timothy goes, and when Paul gets to Corinth, Timothy gets back from having visited the church in Thessalonica, and he tells Paul, good news, I have some good news for you. The church in Thessalonica is going well. They are standing firm in their faith, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult. And Paul is overjoyed as he hears this news, and, he, uh, and we've seen over the last three weeks uh, how, uh, how thankful to God he is for the way the Thessalonians have managed to stand firm in their faith, even though it's been very hard for them. But of course, it would seem, given what Paul writes now in chapter 4, that there are some areas where the Thessalonians need to keep working hard. And so Paul starts in verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you're doing a great job. I'm so thankful to God for this. But let me encourage you to keep on keeping on, to do this more and more. And we see here, don't we, that this is not a a rebuke to the stubborn Christian stuck in their sin and needing a a big slap around the face. But this is a a loving pastoral encouragement to the Christians in Thessalonica and to us to be a people who are constantly seeking to grow and change. 
It's an encouragement to every Christian to make sure that they continue to live their lives on a growth trajectory. See, the thing about the Christian faith is we don't just do a one-time, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and she'll be right, mate. But we actually do a daily repenting and believing, continuing to ask God to reveal to us those areas of our life where we fall short and where we need his help to transform us and to enable us to live more like Jesus. And Paul has an encouragement to the Thessalonians to keep working on their faith, to keep seeking to live a holy life, and he encourages them in three areas in the rest of our reading today in chapter 4. And the first is in the area of sexuality, verses 3 to 8. I bet you didn't think when you were coming to church today you were going to hear the minister talk about sex, but that's what I'm going to do. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica uh, and he encourages them to continue to live a godly life in terms of the way they live out their sexuality. And let me tell you something of the culture of the day. You see, the Greco-Roman world in which Thessalonica was uh, located and Corinth, which is where Paul wrote this letter from, uh, they were famous for what we might term uh, their sexual promiscuity. Uh, The the church in Thessalonica, in that city, they would have seen the worship of deities called the Kabiri. And these guys had some shady, immoral sexual practices associated with their worship. In fact, uh, one professor who's a a scholar of the history uh, and time of uh, the first century in that part of the world, he says this of the kind of life that the people in that day lived. He says this, A man might have had a mistress who could provide him also with intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it easy for him to have a concubine, while casual gratification was readily available from a harlot. The function of his wife was to manage his household and to be the mother of his legitimate children and heirs. So it was commonplace in the first century for uh, someone like me, um, uh, like a, a man who lived there, to have a mistress, to have... Uh, some sort of slave on the side, uh, and then to have a wife as well who would just sort of be the business manager at home. Uh, Another scholar, William Leckie, talks about the period by saying this. They say, The Roman cities of the Greece and Asia Minor area were known for their sexual licence. Places like Thessalonica, he says, had become centres of the wildest corruption. And there has probably never been a period when vice was more extravagant or uncontrolled. You might think, I like to go there. But the point of telling you what it was like back then is so that you can see that when the Bible speaks to us about God's good design for human sexuality... It speaks from a place not of just, well, that's what everyone did back then and we know better now, but actually it speaks counterculturally even then as it does now. And the Bible's view, which it picks up 
in Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible, and runs all the way through, uh, including in the teaching of Jesus and in the rest of the New Testament, is this idea of one man and one woman living together in a monogamous relationship. Genesis 2.24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. That is the key verse when it comes to understanding Christian sexuality. Jesus quotes it in Matthew 19. Paul quotes it in Ephesians 5. Both of those men uh, continue to expand the Bible's teaching on sexuality uh, and, and call us to monogamous sexual relationships with one other person of the opposite sex for life. What if you're not married? Well, Jesus and Paul have things to say to those of us not married too and they call us to celibacy and they say this is a good thing. Jesus says there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Eunuchs, people who can't have sex for uh, reasons that are obvious. Uh, There are people who choose to live like that for the sake of the kingdom. They choose to put that part of their life aside so they can focus on the kingdom of God. Paul likewise in 1 Corinthians 7 talks about how he would prefer people to stay unmarried because when you're married... Where's my wife? Has she gone? Uh, when you're married, things think, think, you, you get distracted by things. You've got to focus a lot of attention and time and care on your, on your family. But if you're not married, you don't have to worry about that. There's good and bad. And so Paul and Jesus say, for those of us who are not married, you are to live a celibate life and to focus on the things of the kingdom. To focus fully on those things. You're not distracted. But of course, Paul says, if you burn with passion, if you really want to have sex, get married. So when Paul comes to write to the Thessalonians and he says, control your body in a way that is holy and honourable, he's calling them to this sexual ethic of monogamous, faithful marriage or celibacy. And that is so radical because that is nothing like what the people in Thessalonica, how they lived. And actually, I've been thinking about this because I actually think uh, in the, the world that we live today that this sexual ethic is actually good news for our world. We live in a, a Me Too world where we hear day after day after day, story after story after story of how mostly men have behaved like absolute cows towards women. And it is shocking and we're outraged, as we should be. But when you think of the Me Too movement, let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians and hear Paul's words to us today. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that is, in this matter, no one should, take, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother and sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. You can see here, Paul says, don't be like Harvey Weinstein. 
Don't use others for your own advantage. Don't treat people as objects. Rather, be holy and honourable. Respect your fellow human beings. Treat them as brothers and sisters. Keep sex out of your relationships unless you've committed to one another first through marriage. This will bring you the greatest joy, says Paul. This is what God calls us to And unfortunately, today, uh, there's a lot of co- uh, debate about how we should live. And many in the church want us to capitulate to society, as perhaps the Thessalonians were tempted to do. But Paul says, anyone who rejects this instruction, verse 8, does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. If you love God, if you truly believe in him, if you allow his Holy Spirit to mould you and shape you, you will do what he says. And he calls us to live holy lives in all our lives, including the way we express ourselves sexually. Well, it's not all just about sex. Thank goodness for you. Thank goodness for me. Uh, we get to talk about some other things too. Paul uh, moves from that to call the Thessalonians to holiness of life, not just in that area, but in two other areas as well. Next, he moves on to their love for others, verses 9 and 10. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving each other well. And I suspect, as we've heard in the past few weeks, that the fact that these guys were having such a hard time of it for living out their faith, they were being persecuted. That's probably helped them to, you know, stop having fights about the furniture in church uh, and actually focus on loving each other because they're getting sort of people are having lobbing hand grenades in from the outside. But of course, it is easy to be sidetracked by side issues. And Paul says, don't do that. Rather, keep on loving each other. And in fact, that's partly what we're going to do later in the service. As uh, Luke and Kelly uh, stand up here with Alex's godparents, and I'll ask them, are they going to strive to live as a disciple of Christ? And they'll say, yes, I will, with God's help. And they've memorised this, which is good. And then I'm going to ask uh, each one of you this question. You have heard these, our brothers and sisters, respond to Christ. Will you support them in this calling? And we answer, we will. And that is an expression, isn't it, of our desire to love them to invest in them, to share our lives with them so that they, as they seek to bring up their children, uh, they'll be able to do so in a, in a faith community that loves them, that accepts them and that helps them to grow. Well, Paul's final instruction to the Thessalonians is uh, that they should live quiet and productive lives, verse 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. The Christian 
is called, where possible, to provide for him or herself. To not be an unnecessary burden on others. To not be idle. Of course, circumstances go beyond our controls. And uh, the, the, the letters of Paul in the New Testament are full of injunctions to help those in need. This is not saying, you know, we help those who help themselves. This is simply saying uh, that, that where possible, we need to put our hands to the till. We need to go to work so that we're not a burden on anyone and so that we have enough to help others. But also, I think in these verses, we get to understand the right way for a Christian to live out their faith. As Christians, we believe God God calls those who follow him to live a certain way of life, to love God, to love others, to make disciples, to be generous with our time and money, to show others uh, the love and mercy we've received in Jesus to live up to God's moral standards in areas like we've talked about today. But we are not called to make others submit to our way of living. Rather, we are called to commend the gospel to them and invite them to join us as they respond to Jesus in faith. And so as we relate to the world out there, we do so not as... Uh, people who are morally right and uh, the world out there wrong. No, we do so by living a quiet and productive life. We get about our business, living out our lives quietly under God. Absolutely not silently, taking every opportunity we can to speak about our faith, to explain what we believe, to demonstrate God's love in word and deed but to not impose ourselves on others. Loving each other and living holy lives. And then we hope that as we seek to be the kind of community that God has called us to be, and as we get on with our business, and as we interact with people, and as our love overflows out into the community, people will see that, and they'll be interested in that. And they'll want to know more. And we'll say, we live like this because we're following Jesus. And he loves us and he loves you. Why don't you come and check it out? We are to get on as Christians with loving God, with loving each other, and with living holy lives so that our way of life might win the respect of outsiders. And of course... Paul writes this knowing that full well it's not always going to happen like that. The Thessalonians, you'll remember, uh, have been persecuted harshly for their faith. And we might be too. Persecution will come to all of us. But we shouldn't seek it out. Instead, we try to live our lives in a way that are worthy of respect that will win the respect of the outsider and that might cause them to ask more. Well, no matter who you are here today, the good news is that God loves you, that he sent Jesus into the world to die for you, that Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross and that he rose again 
victorious. His new life is our new life if we put our faith and trust in him. His death and resurrection mean we and you, through faith in him, have also defeated death. And one day, we believe that Jesus will return. And when he does return, he will cause everyone who believes in him to enjoy the world in all its glory, in perfect harmony. If you love Jesus, then take Paul's words seriously today and seek to live a holy life in all areas of your life. Not just some. And if you don't believe in Jesus, then have a look at the church, a church like this. May our lives hopefully commend to you the goodness of God's good way of life. And use this Christmas season as a time not just to be sidetracked by presents and family, but to investigate the king who has defeated death and who says that there will be no more crying or pain in the eternal life that he's inviting us to share with him. I pray that each of us may live in such a way that pleases God. And we would do that more and more, as Paul calls us to, so that when Jesus returns, he will say, Welcome, faithful sir. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.